Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 43, Tips for Training New Users, recorded March 11th, 2012, and brought to you by Elements OP Productions, elementsop.com. This week, I'm pleased to say we have Door to Door Geek back with us. He's a sort of a, a, a minor expert in the realm of training people on Linux, so we thought that he would be uh, a good guest to have with us for the show. So, hey, Door, how's it going? Hello, sir. It's going pretty good. Awesome. Glad to hear it. And with us uh, again uh, this week is one of our regular, our only regular host. This Apparently. week is Mr. Aaron Butler. Hey, Aaron. Hello. The noob in residence. And this is good because we have the noob in residence. And we have a training guy, and then we have me pushing buttons. So it ought to be okay. Um, Chris has some. Uh, he's buying a new house, and this one of those houses with a homeowner uh, organization, and apparently one of their requirements before they'll even let you buy a house is that you go through like a nine-hour training course in how to be a homeowner. Oh, no. Is it just me, or do these people have way too much power? Huh. Hence, hence, where I live, there's no homeowners. That was no accident. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if it's enough for me not to buy a house, but it would certainly be a big negative. Yeah, we the house that we are actually attempting to buy, uh, have our inspections on Tuesday, whoop, whoop, is in a HOA area. And I, I read the covenants before I ever made an offer <laughs> to make sure there was nothing that I couldn't live, live with. And theirs are all really reasonable things like uh, don't have giant piles of trash in your driveway. You know, things. Right. <laughs> so things I'm for as a homeowner in that neighborhood because I would like my home value to stay uh, uh, appreciable. But what happens is when you get the, you know, the former prom queen head cheerleader, frustrated mother of four who becomes the president of the HOA, things change quickly and they become, you know, uh, little mini Hitlers. And, and that's when you have trouble with HOAs. Yeah. There's been several pretty good movies about that. <laughs> okay. Can't think of the names of any of them right now, but I know there are some and that I laughed when I watched them. I remember back, uh, when people had the, the big, like, eight-foot satellite dishes before we went to the 18-inch dishes, uh, there was a company that made a whole lot of money selling uh, fake rock covers that go over those because HOAs were saying you can't have these, they're ugly, but they wouldn't be able to say you can't have a rock. So you'd put this big 12-foot boulder, like, plaster cover over your satellite dish that was <laughs> was radio wave uh, transparent. And so, no, I don't have a satellite dish. I just like rocks. Right. Genius. Well, they, they, uh, reading the covenants, there, there were some things like, um, you know, I'm not allowed to have any construction materials in display other than like during a period of approved construction. So I can't have my pile of landscaping timbers out behind the storage building, uh, that kind of thing. Right. And, uh, and that I'm supposed to at least mount my satellite dish in the most unobtrusive location. That's all they ask. They don't specify that it has to be on the back building faced at a 45 degree angle to the southern winds or anything like that. <laughs> but they say, you know, if you can make it where it isn't visible from the seat, please don't put it on a post out by your mailbox. <laughs> <laughs> Who was it that used to do that? Prime Star? You remember those guys? They were, they were satellite, but they, it was like you would pay for it like cable, but they would do that. They would stick a dish in a pole in your yard. That's how they would yeah. do it. They wouldn't mount it to your house. DirecTV will still do that if, if that's the only way they can get a, you know, a view of the southwest sky, they have to. Uh, one of the houses we actually looked at when we were house hunting had it in the backyard like that. It's like come out of this beautiful, you know, four bedroom, three and two and a half bath, two story house, walk out on the back deck, and there's this beautiful bronze, I mean, not bronze, uh, granite uh, uh, bird bath and a nice wooden railing deck and a, some beautiful shrubberies and an 18 inch satellite dish. <laughs> <laughs> a shrubbery? <laughs> It's kind of nice though. I mean, if you just you could just use it to heat up your hot dogs if you needed to. That's you fine. put it in the right location in the dish, you know. I don't think it actually works that way. They're not transmitters. No, it really is. No, okay. Um, my little piece of news for today is naps are good. This is uh, I work for a school. One of the few benefits of working for the school is that I often get time off for random you ever reasons. Ask me nap time. That's right. So uh, <laughs> this is uh, this is spring break. So nice. because people used to have to go and plant fields in March, I still get a week off. Yay for not changing things. Uh, so uh, I'm on spring break this week, and so I uh, we started the day very lazy. And, and uh, typically we do lots of church activities uh, during the day, but they were all canceled because most of, I live in a college town. 
So pretty much everybody is off work and we're pretty much everybody's tra- uh, traveling. So we went to church this morning, went and had a nice dinner with the family. I came home and I took a three hour nap in the middle of the day and it was awesome. I, I can't remember the last time I had a nap on a Sunday afternoon. Uh-huh. I'm was jealous. It, Leibowitz, it was Leibowitz approved. Huh? <laughs> well, I think he would catching say. Up on, catching up on that much leaner sleep. I think he would say no more than a 90 minute nap, right? Yeah. Wasn't it? But uh, typically, anyway. I think typically less than an hour for a quote unquote power nap. But right. I, what you did is you just had an extra sleep set episode. That's right. I did. <laughs> it was nice. So yeah, I love naps. <laughs> or, ordinarily, I don't like naps uh, because they kind of mess me up if I don't do it right. But that was the perfect nap. It was the right duration. It was quiet. It was relaxed. So I feel good. All right. Well, uh, here's my tip to new parents. When the kid sleeps, you sleep. Amen. Don't try, don't try to play catch up. Well, he's asleep. Now I can get this done. No. <laughs> nap when the kid naps. You'll be much more sane. Trust me. And then when he's five, like my son is, you'll be trying to nap and you'll feel in your chest, dad, 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 mm-hmm. <laughs> what Nathaniel, I can't find this one Lego. I need to finish lightning McQueen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that, that happened today. <laughs> so yesterday afternoon, uh, my girls had a birthday party and their mom took them. So I had the house all to myself. Another rarity. Um, let's kick back on the couch. I had watched a man movie. I watched, uh, Ron Burgundy again, the anchor man, the legend of Ron Burgundy, which would Kill be a man whole, with a trident. <laughs> yeah, which would be a whole lot better without that whole scene. Actually, that's the only thing that bothers me is the rumble that's scene. The, that's the best scene in the movie. <laughs> I love that scene. <laughs> but anyway, uh, where'd you get a hand grenade? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, don't know. know. By the way, you you might want to consider laying low for a while, finding some place out of town, because uh, I think you're wanted. But anyway. I, I am. <laughs> <laughs> I, I after it was over, I thought, you know, this is nice. I'm going to kick back in, in, in the recliner. I'm going to uh, close my eyes, and I'm going to take a little snooze. It'll be nice. So I turned off the TV. I kicked back. I closed my eyes. I just snuggled in, and then <laughs> all three girls got home all at once. So that didn't work out for me. So I made up for it today. Yes. Okay, I, what else we got in the uh, useless stuff before we get on to the useful stuff? category I, I just wanted to mention that if anybody noticed that i sound silky smooth today that my dulcet tones are even more mellifluous than normal mellifluous one of that word that starts with the m-e-l and has as long as it's it. not malevolent exactly that has a v not an f uh that's because i am now speaking through a high dollar 20 dollar microphone <laughs> maybe it's a 30 dollar microphone but yeah, i've i've, about I've I've eschewed my uh, previous headset microphone and I'm trying out a new fancy rig thanks to uh, Element OP Productions. I'm on an M-, M-, M Audio Fast Track device, actually talking on a regular microphone. Got my earbuds in so you can see that, like Stephen Colbert, I have one ear that sticks out a little more than the others. The others? How many do you have? <laughs> seven. seven <laughs> <laughs> I'm like a healthy stalk of corn. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so. You do sound good. The uh, the uh, Audio Technica M4000 is a great entry level microphone. Good quality sound for if you buy them in bulk, they're literally twenty bucks each. I think I bought a pack of three for sixty dollars. Uh, you buy them one at a time, I think they're about fifty, but buy them in bulk. Well, and, and the the M Audio thing, like we were talking about, Mark allows me to bypass uh, my noisy four dollar sound card that came built into my five year old HP computer and go directly USB, so I don't have that. <sighs> Yes. That apparently I had before quite often. Yeah, pretty much every time you use that machine. But our audience doesn't know that because Audacity is so good at filtering that out. Yes, it is. Okay, so on to uh, a Linux news this week. Even in the absence of Seth, I found one. This is a big deal uh, in the Linux world. And a couple of listeners uh, posted this in our forums and in the chat room, so I wanted to make sure to uh, uh, mention it to you. Gen2, the uh, Linux distribution, has announced a pseudo-privilege escalation problem. And and it's not just uh, Gen2, I would imagine. They're the ones who put it out there, but my guess is that this is probably out there in other places. So uh, it's something that you probably want to check out. Uh, basically, sudo is the run-as tool if you're a Windows user. It allows you to uh, pretend to be another user, any other user, but uh, usually you use it to be root or the administrator account. And with is that this... Just a- is it is the Linux guys just that clever? You know, they're doing the P S E R U E E U D O pseudonym 
that's what the pseudo came from. You're running as somebody else. Are they that being? Are they being clever? No, easy way to actually, them? it's S U D O for super user do. Right, it just happens to be quinkadinkly. Right, a, f- a pseudo. Yeah, yeah. It's it just happens to be a homophone for uh, pretend to be someone else. But no, it's super user do pseudo. Um, and there's a, a bug there that if somebody knew what they were doing, they could uh, craft a link in such a way that when you click on it, they become the big boss of your computer. And the there is no resolution, just upgrade. If you're using Gentoo or anybody right now, it's probably a good idea. When you see the little blinking update box, go ahead and click on that. Hmm. Well, when I think Gentoo, I think pretty um, up to date already. So if you're on a normal distro, you might not have this yet because most distros seem to be at least a touch behind. Right. But Gentoo really is like bleeding edge. I don't think a lot of people use Gentoo, uh, and I think DistroWatch bears that out, that a lot of people don't use it, because it is very hacker-centric. It's not the it's not for the masses. They don't want to be for the masses. Head uh, to Gentoo. Sorry. Yeah, thank you. Get to. So anyway, that's our uh, Linux news for the week, unless you guys had something else. Uh, to be honest, I've been only keeping up a little bit. I only have, it's not really news, but I have, feel like I have to say it someplace. A new distro, quote unquote, I'll just say it's so new it's not on distro watch yet. Um, but it's been mentioned on a couple podcasts I listened to. It's called Solus OS, S O L U S O S. This has been kind of like my dream Linux operating system for like, like the last two or three years. It seems to do absolutely everything a, someone could expect a Linux to distro to do like semi-automated installation of codecs and applications but it's not based on ubuntu it's based on pure debian and i honestly think if they go at this pace because this is only an rc2 and i'm right now streaming on it on uh, skype skype's even in their re re uh uh positories which was another plus if they keep it up at this pace I see this becoming big in the Linux world for newer users or people that want a system that quote unquote just works. So why, why, why do you like the fact that it's straight Debian instead of Ubuntu, which is Debian derivative? Right. Well, Ubuntu is controlled by a company, i.e. that company tomorrow could decide to say, eh, you know, Let's get out of the software business and let's get into making hot dogs. And then we have no more Ubuntu at all. Don't laugh. Yamaha used to make pianos and Hitachi made uh, cars, I think it was. So, yeah, yeah. it could happen. Yep. So, I just like knowing if I get in a coma for four years and I wake up, I have an operating system I can still use. <laughs> That's a good thing to plan for. <laughs> <laughs> just in case. <laughs> what I was laughing about was the hot dog. The choice of hot dogs is the thing right. to, to switch to. Yeah. Well, I I really like hot dogs. <laughs> I do. <laughs> All right. I think that's the title of the show. I really like hot dogs. Door to door geek. Uh, but but because Ubuntu is open source, I mean anybody can fork that, and and frequently have you know uh, uh, Mint and and all these other guys. So. Uh, I don't think there's any real controlling interest. It would just be that nobody would be developing it. Um, yeah, it would get uh, stagnant after it would probably take like a year. People would try to keep it up, but I don't know if it would be the same product, you know? Yeah. It takes a lot of resources to do that. There are only a couple of companies who've done it successfully and they have millions of dollars. You know, Red yes. Hat has invested millions in it. Uh, Sousa has uh, uh, invested millions in it. And, uh, and Shuttleworth has invested millions in Ubuntu. The little guys. Uh, usually tend to be either a derivative of those or just struggle along, limp along. Like one of my favorites is Puppy Linux, uh, pretty much run by a couple of guys. Uh, and while I like it a lot, it's it can't compete in almost any area with the big guys because it's just a couple of guys. Yeah, I'll say when Puppy fits in need, it fits wonderfully, exactly. magnificently. But when it has that thing that it doesn't do that you want it to do, it no can really cause uh, tumors. Yeah, yeah. Because I have a Triple E seven hundred one G Surf, the original, 
right. like soldered in RAM triple E kind yep. of thing. I've got one of those. And I wanted to put puppy on it for my oldest son. Cause a, his hands almost perfectly fit on the keyboard. So I said, you know, I really need something light. Here comes puppy. And then I go and I try to put tux paint on it. One of the popular, dare I say, kids programs to save my life. I spent two weeks off and on trying to get it to load and I could not get tux paint to work on that. So, okay, son, you're going to run slid as. <laughs> okay. Well, basically now he just has big icons to click and he's uh, happy. Ubuntu desktop remix works on that one. I've got it installed on my original uh, EPC. Yeah. But you, you're anti-Ubuntu. Well, no, no. It's <laughs> just that Ubuntu... No, no. I run Ubuntu on everything. Right. You know, because I, like you, when I do a show, I need stuff to just work. I have no time to recompile, reinstall, uninstall, redo configs or any of that stuff. So Ubuntu is everywhere in my house. I do have a slid as box for my son and I dual boot this laptop with a slid as the wife is running mint, you know, it's right. everywhere, but I needed to make sure it was snappy for him. Cause he's like me. He's a touch, uh, impatient. I'll say. So I need to make him happy instead of hearing every five seconds. Dad. Oh, yeah. never mind. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Yeah. I get like that is my kids will click on, you know, the Firefox icon on the desktop. And if it doesn't open in seconds that it's broke, well, what's wrong with it? Never mind. It just opened. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. Okay. So uh, we had a new rule. It's like count to 10, then call uh -huh. me. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how fast they can count to 10, can't they? Aaron, There's how fast can Nathaniel count to 10? So fast that it's a blur. <laughs> uh, yeah, we had a rule where, you know, on the software that I supported that a new user couldn't make a suggestion for a change for six months. <laughs> <laughs> funny, funny. I remember just a, a throwback to the old days. Uh, when I first started programming in, in basic, GW basic, the way you would do pauses uh, or time things is you just have the computer count. So you'd have a count from like one to a hundred and that would equivalent yeah. uh, to a few seconds. But if you run one of those scripts now on a modern PC, PC say count to one to a hundred, you know, it, it faster than you can blink your eye. So we had to come up with actually measuring the clock and say, wait five seconds. But you didn't used to do that. You just have it count for a little bit. Yeah, we do four, one to 100 next, you know, four X equals one to 100 next X. Right. That was your <laughs> pause. Yep. I remember that. So Dort, uh, since we're talking about training new users, tell people why that you, uh, have any, um, input that we should listen to on this. What is your experience in training new users to use Linux? Well, to be honest, it goes back a very, 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 very long ways. I had, let's say a speech impediment. I still have it. Um, but it seems like it's mentally based kind of thing. Uh, and when I was younger, it was quite bad. So when I first got on a computer, there existed these AOL chats kind of thing. And I would constantly just go into them and ask if anyone needs any help. And I literally enjoyed helping people that grew and it kept going. And then I started to get into other things. And then I got into Linux. Eh, nobody heard from me for a couple months because I was just into that. And then, uh, Steve Chur, Chur, Bino co-host of the art of podcasting, which you, if you haven't heard, I think you need to subscribe to it. Uh, encouraged me to make a set of Linux videos, helping people get over that first hump. Um, he definitely had direct input. Uh, and then we made these videos together and I tell you the hardest thing to do with any kind of training is to put yourself in the place of that new user. You know, what do they expect when they do something? What do they need? You know, how, how to best explain it to them. And that's what Steve C did for me. He made sure I was saying things in bite-sized parts where people could grasp and use. Um, so I made these videos. I'm in the process of making uh, a next set of videos and I already have planned a third set of videos all about how to use Linux to get anything done. Um, I, I believe the best way to learn something is to make it task based. You can't just ramble on and say, here's how you do this and 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 this. It's best to have it categorized by task because 
90% of the time when someone hops on a computer, they're trying to do this specific task and they need to know step-by-step how to do it. So everything I've been doing now has been task-based. How do you rip a CD? How do you burn a CD? You know, how do you do IRC type chat? Um, how do you um, open an archive? How do you create an archive? You know, all kinds of basic things. And that's a good idea um, what to remember. You know, this, this whole thing is about, we're assuming you're a geek when you listen to the show. Now, I know that we do have noobs who listen, and which is great. We, we love having you guys on. But today, we're talking about the people who would be helping you out. It can also uh, help you learn to ask the right questions. <clears throat> and so, like uh, uh, Dor just said there, keep things task-based instead of um, uh, theoretical. Because people don't, you know, uh, you, you mentioned earlier recompiling. I hate it when I go into a, uh, a website uh, to look for help. And some guy says, well, just recompile the kernel with these arguments. That's not help to me. Yeah. That, 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 and I'm an advanced user, but I'm never going to recompile. I've never done it. I'm never going to do it. Um, because no, <laughs> I'm just not going to, I will send that off to the, to the higher geeks than I am. You know, I'm like Gandalf the Gray. I will send that off to, to Sauron the White and I will let him recompile it for me, but I'm not going to do that. Uh, so, when you're helping somebody, keep it task-based and make it a task they want to do. Ask them what they want to do, if possible. And right. one of the best yeah. ways to do it. Oh, go ahead, Steve. Um, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, and what the new users thrive is a GUI. They yes. want to see it done in a GUI. And what I always tried to do was show them it in a GUI, explain how that could be done, and sometimes after doing the task in a GUI, show them how to do it in alternate ways but you know if it if there's no gooey way to do something basically to a new user then it's impossible right it can't be done and and yeah uh aaron you you're the new noob to the show but also you have a a newer noob uh that you brought on the show not long ago what john was that his name tom tom and uh and you've been helping tom i know as he has uh, worked his way around the Linux. Uh, what what has your experience been, both from the new user and from the the one helping the even newer user, in in terms of the best ways to break things down and make them uh, accessible? Well, I think, um, and just for the record, he ended up settling on uh, Mint, is where he finally ended up settling after playing Good with choice. two distros. And you know, he was a pretty he's a pretty smart guy and a pretty savvy, savvy computer user, so. Once I got with him and gave him some, some, here, here are a few things. Then he came on the show, uh, door, what he came on the show one night and did a 10 questions for a, a noob, basically, where he asked the questions of things he was running into to the, to the experts on the show, uh, and kind of got some of those questions answered beyond what I knew. And since that, he's just blowing and going. I mean, he just uses it every day, but don't boom. Uh, <laughs> he's got one of his workstations at his house. He's got a couple of computers at his house. One of them is running Linux and, uh, he just uses it, and, and far as I know, he's not having any problems. Once he put Mint, his uh, I think I think he was having was it sound card or video driver problems? I can't remember. He was having some kind of hardware issue, sound card or video or or LAN or something or uh, uh, Wi-Fi, and whatever that was, Mint was fine with it. Didn't have any issues. I think he went from I'd be honest, I don't remember what he was trying first when he was on the show, but anyway, Mint was fine. The latest version of Mint that he loaded on there, and so since then he's just doing his web stuff, doing his uh. Um, email stuff, just the the typical stuff that people really do use computers for these days, the average user stuff, you know, that everybody from uh, Joe's CEO all the way down to Yo Mama uses and uh, feels comfortable with. He's doing it and hadn't had any complaints. In fact, the last, last, time, I, last time I asked him, uh, Tom, how's it going with Linux? He's like, oh, just doing great. You know, got got Mint going, installed, and all my, all my hardware's up and running and uh, just kicking right along. So, Yeah, and when you get a guy, you know, uh, he was smarter than the average bear uh as i recall you know the guy yeah. who makes his own materials uh, <laughs> uh yeah. um that's the kind of guy who if he has a problem he's going to go google it. he's going to go to forums he's not going to ask a lot of questions but your grandma or your wife uh you know or your you know your brother the ditch digger who's not into tech and doesn't want to be into tech not that we're uh, saying ditch diggers aren't smart no i'm not it's saying they're like... smart yeah <laughs> um i have a cousin or ditch digger listeners <clears throat> I have a cousin, for example, who is a welder, uh, very manual labor, very, uh, uh, 
physical, but he's a he's a brilliant welder. He makes more money than I do uh, doing it. Uh, but it's he's not into tech at all. He doesn't get them computers, as he calls it. Um, he's just not into that sort of stuff. So you know, when I when I uh, talk about those guys, I'm just talking about guys who aren't into computers. And so if I'm going to in, uh, train him on how to use Linux, um, I'm going to have to make it something that he wants to do. It. And uh, when I was coming up with these uh, discussion points, one of the I was reminded of a quote of Albert Einstein, uh, where he said, "Make things as simple as possible, but not simpler." Uh, tip often we geeks like to oversimplify things and they break things down so much that they actually become more complicated. Exactly. So we'll, we'll, somebody will say, you know, how do I send an email? And we'll say, well, you can use one of 74 different email clients. And if you do this one and, and we're trying to make it simple, we're really, it's just like, okay, download evolution and type in your address here to set it up and go. Uh, you, you need to make things simple but not overly simple because you you can uh, especially don't give people too many options you want to tell them a way to do it and then later if they ask is there another way to do it? sure absolutely there's another way but for now here's the way that's that's what apple has been so good about doing is they've given everybody one way to do things and people love them for it yeah i found for me uh because my current job does entail a certain amount of training i think this is applicable across any kind of training especially with computers um you want to give the user the um, shortest route to their objective, even if it may be a little more complicated um, as far as the amount of knowledge you have to have of what you're actually telling them to do. But in my opinion, like for me, um, for example, say I've got a, a shared folder on my computer that I um, use to divvy out a file to somebody. And I do. I have this one little folder stuck on my computer that I've got kind of open shared on it. So if I'm on somebody else's computer, I need to grab a file. I can drop it in that folder and then suck it back off of there without having to email it or file share it or anything else. And so if I'm trying to get somebody to get that same file, I could go, okay, go to my computer, right click, explore. Okay, now go down to, you know, I can go through all those kind of steps or I can just say, hit the start button, type this. Exactly. <laughs> and so that's what I do. I just tell them exactly what to type and they do it one time. And uh, so in that circumstance, I could, I could teach them uh, maybe a better way to do it and a, a more elegant way to do it, um, a little hackish, less hackish way to do it, but it wouldn't be as effective. Maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm right. I don't know. That's just the way I go. No, I think you're exactly right. It's, it's like the old saying, uh, perfect is the enemy of good enough. You know, right. you have to tell somebody how to do something in a way that A, they can do, and B, they can, you know, actually functionally understand at least the, the basic of it. Because if you try to make it, you know, too complex, a third way through, they're, you're just going to lose them. Yeah. yeah, and another, I think another thing that we geeks tend to do is we try to uh, to hide things. Um, like, during the last time you were on, we talked about the fact that you have an icon on your desktop that says Word, but it's not actually Word. Uh, mm -hmm. I, while that worked for your wife, and it will certainly work, um, it can lead to problems later on down the line because yeah. suddenly people are going to go, wait, this this plug in here, this thing is supposed to work for Word. How come it's not working on my computer? So make things simple, but don't hide them and certainly yeah. don't lie to it. I have I have actively heard people encourage lying to users in the past yeah. because it I've makes things too. simpler, right? But don't do that. Yeah, I mean the only reason I did it was because it's my wife. Right. And if she can <laughs> and if and if she complains, I can hear her complain so I can go fix her kind of thing. With people that I've gotten on Linux, I don't I was like one of my gripes is people who do lie. And when it's my wife, it's not a lie, it's just a Okay, she's happy. But for other people, I do agree. You have to be. So what you're saying is, that. it's not lying if it's your wife. Yes, <laughs> because it's necessary. <laughs> but, and uh, the one thing I just want to bring up, just super quick, about Aaron and Tom, I'm willing to bet 99 lunches. You yourself used Mint, am I correct? I, I tinkered with it a little bit. Okay. Well, because here's one of my core beliefs. You should basically offer to support people on something that you yourself use. Right. If you think, use Mint and they option for something else, it's going to become troublesome. <laughs> I think he ended up going to Mint because I did mention it to him. You know, that was something we tinkered with, something we talked about. And we actually talked about it on the show on some of the podcasts he'd listened to. And I think Chris was a big Mint proponent, you know, so... He heard it from all three directions, and so I think that's kind of what led him, led him down that that route. 
Yeah, so and, and I do believe free sandwiches. Gotcha. And I do believe mint is does offer the pathway of least pain. Yeah. Because you know, change by default is going to be painful. You know what I mean? So I do I do believe it offers the least amount of pain. With that said, even on my training videos, I don't use mint. And pain eventually leads to the dark side. <laughs> well, and here's the reason why I don't use mint. I like users that have to at least do a little bit of work before their system is up and running. And I can make my system in in Ubuntu very, 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 very mint-like with one command or opening up one program and installing two things, two, maybe three things. And then you really are like 98 plus percent on your way to having mint. Door likes percentages. You'll hear that a lot. I do. Well, and here's the real reason, because when you get dropped into mint, you don't know how to install anything because you don't need to install anything with Ubuntu. If you wanted to get it to be like mint, you have to install something. So at least it gives them an excuse to understand how to do that basic part. Right. Yeah. I, uh, um, <clears throat> had a, had another note in here that said shortcuts are fine, but learning is better. Uh, it's, it's good to give people an easy way to do it, but it's that whole teach a man to fish, give him a fish thing. If you can teach them how to do something, even the simplest thing, that will be one less call they have to make to you later. Well, and it's, you can kind of look at it like training wheels too. You put put the training wheels on so they can learn, okay, this is how I pedal. This is how I steer, but they're not really riding a bike yet until you take the training wheels off and they're limited in what they can do. They can't, you know, they can't turn really sharp corners because they end up getting up on <laughs> like a, uh, like a, you know, a Starsky and Hutch movie up on two wheels <laughs> when they go around the corner. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll definitely agree with that in general, but honestly, one of the things I almost insist new users install on their computer is this application that I did not, I really cannot comprehend why it's not more popular. It's called Culfer, K-U-P-F-E-R. This is kind of like Quicksilver Gnome do S kind of application, but 10 times more insanely powerful. Um, because you don't have to know where something's at on your menu, for instance. You just hit yeah. your hotkey and start to type mouse. And then you hit enter. But with this application, you can also install applications, uninstall applications, batch run applications, and a lot of applications you can actually dig into the application. If I hit it and start to type filezilla, I can actually say open file file zilla and open this connection or open up firefox and this bookmark or browse your file structure go to this tar.gzip archive and un un in un extract it extract you know what i mean uncompress it yes thank you and i really encourage people you know this is a tool they're right if you go look at the options and the plugins for this tool, it is near insane the amount of power this application can have. And I encourage people to watch this video on YouTube. It's like an eight-minute video. And the best thing about Linux is because it's a standalone application that's not dependent on KDE or XFCE or GNOME or anything else, you can basically install this on any desktop and do the exact same kind of task. So it's kind of like the command line in Linux. If I tell you how to do something in the GUI, then you switch desktops, it could be painful to figure out how to do. Where in the command line, it just works like the, almost the same on every distro. This application then gives you the option of loading stuff in a familiar way, installing stuff in a familiar way, and running stuff in a familiar way. I remember, Mark, on a, on a pre-Aaron episode of Everyday Linux, Everyday Linux BC, that'd be BA, wouldn't it? Um, they y'all were talking about some other application. One of the guys, either Chris or Josh, was talking about something similar to this. It's you know, it's a, it's like you hit the space bar and start typing. Yeah, uh, it was Gnome Do that he was talking about. Is yeah. that what the one he was talking about? Yeah. Okay, there's a there's a Windows equivalent that's not quite as powerful but close. Right. That I actually oh, played around with it for a while. Yeah, I have a couple ones loaded on my work computer um, that do kind of similar esque in. Windows and trust me, I use Gnome Do for years, 
Uh, but once I saw the video on Colfer and I saw how much more it could do, I don't install GNOME do anymore. Right. But it is a I, personal preference thing. You know, some people like peanut butter and jelly. Some people like peanut butter and bananas. Well, I, uh, I like peanut I butter and jelly with bananas. Yeah, that's what Nathaniel likes. I tried the uh, the Windows equivalent of it because everybody was, I say everybody, Josh and Chris were raving about how handy the, this whatever, I guess it was GNOME do, GNOME do. Uh, and I used it a little bit, but I found that having already been on that computer for a couple of years, you know, I'd use that same workstation at work. I had everything that I really used a lot in my taskbar and the things that I didn't use a lot that I wanted quick access to. I had access them via the command line so many times that I could click start or hit the windows key and click on run and type it faster than I can remember to do the hot key to bring up the, the new thing I installed. And that brings <laughs> At up that a, point. I was too far down the road. That brings up another good point. Uh, when training a new user, uh, uh, customization is your friend. That That's one of the first things I always do is say, okay, here's, here's your computer. Now let's set it up in a way that works for you. What do you do? What are the things you access the most? Let's, let's make those front and center. And and that will cut down on some of those uh, training issues if everything is obvious to them as much as possible. And and that's one of my complaints about the new Unity interface in Ubuntu is it it makes things harder to find. There, the, it's it's not things aren't as obvious as they used to be. Right. Well, yeah. Unity and GNOME three GNOME shell. One of the things that they do do is now yeah, when you said type, doo-doo. Yeah, doo-doo. you can hit the windows key or the power key whatever you want to call it and start to type things by task like if you want to listen to a song you don't have to type banshee you can type music and they do a fair job a they don't advertise that's capable of doing it they need to say type in description or name i think it would help but either way it's still it leads to you never know if you've explored all of the possibilities because you don't know yeah. you can't just go through a menu and click and browse see i'm i'm just waiting for the days of the star trek interface where you say computer and Majel barrett says working and you say bring up box concerto in c played by the new york philharmonic in 1774 and hey, she lingo. goes okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, there are a lot of people trying to do that. You know, Siri. Yeah. Apple wants you to think Siri can do that, but Apple uh, Siri's response is usually, "I'm sorry, I can't do that right now." Exactly. Uh, one of the funniest episodes of Big Bang Theory was whenever uh, Raj started having an affair with his Siri. Oh, <laughs> uh, my wife made me watch that episode with her. Oh, it was that so was. Funny. <laughs> I love the fact that he finally met her. He, of course, he couldn't say anything. Right. <laughs> oh, it was so hilarious because he's like. Call me, whatever, you know, okay. And <laughs> Siri, let's go to a movie. I found three movies within three miles, Raj. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's great. Okay, so, so now let's, go ahead. I was going to say, back on that note about customization and back to uh, Steve's um, infamous lying to his wife, there is a there is a happy medium there too of, of um, trying to ascertain how they did things before even if, if there isn't a direct correlation in Linux, maybe this is a, a this is somebody I'm looking at this from a perspective of um, training a user on one type of software and then training. For example, I don't know how much you know about me, Steve, but I'm a I'm, I work in the healthcare IT industry, um, specifically supporting physician offices on their electronic medical record software and developing that kind of stuff. So I've been working on one version of uh, one type of software for ten years. I'm currently on the development implementation team for a new software and mm-hmm. Um, making the correlation and the change as I'm talking to these users going through validation sessions and saying, well, in application A, you did it this way. In application B, you're going to do it this way. Okay. And, and the new application company recommends we do it, you know, X, Y, and Z. You can do it A, B, C, but they recommend X, Y, and Z. Well, we're going to opt for A, B, and C because A, B, and C is a lot like B, C, and D they used to use. Right. So X, Y, Z may be a little better, but A, B, C is a lot closer to B, C, D and we'll get better user buy-in better, quicker uh, adoption and better results and less pain points for the user. So there are some times where changing um, LibreOffice to say word might buy you enough bang for your buck for the first six months. Then you just tell your wife, by the way, you know, uh, you'll go in the computer day and you're going to see it says LibreOffice now where it used to say word. 
But don't worry, that's the same application you've been using for six months. Continue to use it exactly as you were. <laughs> Nothing's really changed. Pay no attention to the man behind the green curtain. Um, so when you're doing customization sometimes, setting things up, there may be three ways to do it. Um, way one may be the best way. Way two may be almost as good, but more like the way they were doing things. That, so it might be the better way. Oh, dude, I utterly agree with you. Um, one of the most important things I learned about program interface creation was doing a um doing a um job task inventory and what it essentially means is you take what paperwork they're writing out and you basically emulate that paper on your screen you're basically easing the transition and because linux is by far the most customizable thing on a computer it is possible to make some of those changes to make it easier for them to do. But I will say what I cannot stand are the Linux distributions that l try super hard to look like Windows XP. I understand it. I really do. But my logic is there should be clearly this is different kind of atmosphere. But at the same token, I do agree. Task should be done or at least presented in a similar way when possible. Do they still sell those uh, Lindos computers at Walmart that he did a few years back? <laughs> oh, I hope not. Um, they also sold uh, GOSs, which they turned out to have an 80% re, um, return rate. And my guess is the other 20%, well, since they shop at Walmart, they couldn't remember where they got it or something. <laughs> yeah, and that, they're, they're list, I mean, we've talked about that uh, in the past. There are Linux distributions who are trying to do that as well, trying to make things uh, Windows-like. And, and that works to a point, but it, but it's... Don't lie to people and say, this is Windows, and right. think you can get away with it, because right. you can't, ever. Yeah, and they have a new edition of, I can't remember what it was, it just came out a week and a half ago, it looks like OS X, whatever it's called now, Snow Zebra Leopard thing. And it's like, yes, I do agree, it's visually appealing, but you're, you are straight up lying. Yeah. You know what I mean? So let's yes. talk a little bit about some of the methodologies for teaching. We've given the tips there, but uh, how, how, what's the best way to go about it? And obviously, well, maybe not obviously, but I think the best way to do it is over-the-shoulder training. You put the guy down at the chair, and you stand over him, and you say, all right, now click here and click here and, and go with that. But that's not always possible. Uh, so you have to come up with the remote version of that. And so, um, uh, of course, Dor, when you made your videos – you did that in a, a video format. You weren't actually there. It was asynchronous, Aaron's favorite right. word. So uh, <laughs> they downloaded you, and, and you were there, and you had a little video window there, and they were watching a screen capture. And you could do that, and that certainly works. Or you could just buy door stuff, uh, and that works well too. But uh, what are some options for doing a live connection? Well, what I've done in the past is I've shipped them a laptop with a shoulder-mounted webcam that they wear over their shoulder so I can see their keyboard. <laughs> Not really. I'm just kidding. <laughs> That'd be pretty As funny. I was going to say, that. <laughs> that, that's, that is dedication. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Now, uh, I think he was actually addressing you, I think, Dora. Uh, maybe. I don't know. But. One of the fun things uh, to do is, is use things like TeamViewer or uh, um, that ilk, VNC, things like that. But... Um, Often it becomes difficult to have a side channel conversation there, meaning um, you can't uh, talk about what you're doing. You, you have to bring up a shared text app and type in it or something like that, which uh -huh. we've probably all done, and we yeah. probably all wish we didn't have to do it. Uh, yeah, it's painful. By far, is the, the best remote situation is, unless you can do the cinema laptop with the shoulder-mounted webcam so you can see their keyboard and screen, is uh, remote controlling, uh, sharing their desktop, and being on the phone with them. Exactly. You know, that's that's kind of the bread and butter. That's what I do if I have to do direct support with somebody, which I don't have to do a lot of it. But if I'm directly supporting an end user, if I can't see their screen, it's a whole another world. Because even in an application that you've used a million times, if, if the application is of any size, um, there's a million different ways it can be configured. And so what you you may be and if you can't bring up the exact same thing on their screen, your screen that they're seeing, uh, which is the other, I guess, second best option is mirror them, you know, step them through it and do it as you do it. Right. Uh, but the voice is critical. It is. Uh, and, and if you and have an in-audio fast track, it'll sound mellifluous. When you talk <laughs> um, one of the tools that I have used um, is the tool we're using right now. Uh, Google Hangouts has a screen share option, and you get the audio, and you get the video. Um, 
That's, that's a little technical for the grandma. Uh, generally, Skype can be a little better, uh, but the, the, the trouble is that you want them to share their desktop. So they have to go through the steps to make that happen. So uh, really, the best combination is a voice app. You could do Skype. You could do a Google Hangout. You could do Google Voice, or you could do the phone, and then something like TeamViewer uh, to so that they can initiate a screen thing, or you can remotely initiate it if they've given you privileges. And that's what I always do when I set up somebody up with something. Is I I say I'm going to set this up so that I can look in on your computer when you need help. Just know that I have that ability, and I promise I won't do it when you're browsing porn at two o'clock in the morning. But just know that I can do it. It's there. I have that ability. So uh, you set that up, and then you get on some voice call with them and go that way. Absolutely, yeah. Um, real quick, one of the issues with doing remote desktop in Linux is you do have so much choice. There's a whole bunch of different desktop environments, window managers, and even X or dot settings that can really change the fundamentals of how your desktop works. So a lot of applications have mixed success. I'll say like Skype, I've had very mixed success with the uh, desktop sharing. Sometimes it works beautifully. And then sometimes it halfway works. And then sometimes you just get a black screen. Um, TeamViewer to me does seem to be the most solid desktop sharing experience, but also the easiest for the other user to install and set up because Nobody wants to tell another user who's new to Linux, well, okay, let's find out what your router address is. Let's log into your router and start opening up ports on your firewall. Right. You know, that leads to utter catastrophe each and every time. <laughs> um, and, I, and I will say with TeamViewer, the only issue I've ever had is Linux is smart enough to know a remote keyboard and mouse controlling this screen is not this physical computer controlling the screen so it will time out and dim the screen and then prompt you for a user password so if you do remote into someone else's linux desktop the very first thing you need to do is open up the um screensaver settings and disable dimming of the screen and the screensaver activating yeah and try uh, not to uh, the worst case scenario is have them remember to to click a uh, button here and there uh, but you don't want to do that. And one of the funniest things, and it's happened to me several times, is as I'll tell somebody, okay, uh, we're we're going in here. I'm going to be co controlling your your mouse and your keyboard. Uh, so just know that uh, uh, when when things happen, when I'm when I'm controlling your cursor, we can do it. And we don't we don't both have access to it at the same time. And then they'll take it and they'll start clicking. I thought you said I couldn't do that. Well, no. You see, what I said is we can't do it at the same time because now I can't do it. And so, oh my God, my mouse is moving. What? No, I told you. I would I would be doing that. So you really have to lay that out and explain to people uh, yeah, that sort of thing. To it can freak them yeah. out just a little bit if they're not. You know, most of our users, if they've been there any length of time, get used to the help desk or some IT department, some division of the IT department jumping to their computer and taking control of the mouse. And you know, and there is a, a certain level of um, that we as a geek typically has to fight of the wanting to do it ourselves. The, the you know the Nick Burns your company IT guy move you know and you sit exactly. down and do it. So even even during training it's like well let me, let me just go ahead and get you to this one spot right no, which isn't training at all mouse, let them click let them type let them type forward slashes instead of black backslashes tell them the difference make them erase them you know it's all learning yeah I I see I have a couple Windows customers and their kids told me. You do realize when you remote into my parents' computer, they both sit there with the drink and just sit there and talk about what you're doing. And they'd like <laughs> laugh at the fact that it's doing it all by itself, George. <laughs> you know? So there also is some entertainment value, I'll say, in that. Um, but I will agree with Mark. Uh, he said a little bit earlier about knowing how to say stuff. Um, one of my core beliefs is there's two types of in of um of a uh, in um intelligence that is the a that is the ability to take something very simple and then break it down into such small pieces that it becomes utterly complex 
the other talent is to be able to take something that is very complex and break it down into very small edible pieces that people can understand. That I would say is almost a talent. Uh, I'm sure you can learn it, but it's one of those things when you meet people, you know whether or not this person should be talking to a new user or not. Because some people really shouldn't. Yeah. And know if you're that guy and admit that you're that guy. And say, yeah. yeah. If you're Nick Burns, admit it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it makes me think of a funny thing. Um, currently on the software that I was supporting, uh, we have about 2,500 concurrent users on a particular Shh. day at our peaks, you know, like 10 and 2. Um, and, you know, a lot of them are in the same IP scheme range because they're in on the same the same campus and if you mistype an ip address there's a good chance you're going to still end up seeing the same screen of the same application that the other guy was on nice <laughs> so it's like all right i'm in there now is this the screen okay i'm going to close that out and i'm going to are you going to get in my computer i'm in your computer no you're not <laughs> yeah oops i just took over somebody else's computer killed everything they were doing and kicked them out of the application and restarted their machine sorry whoever you are 10.4.25.76 <laughs> i have a funny story about that uh, uh my, did you share it the other night on the taiwan tech episode no i didn't uh, uh but my co-host on the taiwan tech when he worked with me uh was uh, was in a classroom he had a lab and we have the naming scheme is like ms room 06 zero one through 26 is the way we name all of our computers so he was using the remote uh shutdown and startup capabilities of one of our tools to bring of all bring all of the things sorry i talk i talk yeah he was he was using that to bring all the computers up before class and get everybody ready and shut them all down after class um uh, and uh i had a teacher um from the high school calling me and said that every day at 2.30, all of my computers shut down. What's going on there? <laughs> Somebody messing with it. And I, I spent um, days trying to find that. And sure enough, every day at exactly the same time, all of our computers shut down. And I was running scans, trying to figure out what, figure out what was going on, seeing if some kid had hacked us. Turned out it was Sean. He came in um, like after a couple weeks and says, you know, when I click the shutdown button, none of my computers ever shut down. I have to go around and do it. Uh, manually every time and it turned out he was at the ms room six and she was at the hs room six he had just loaded the wrong thing and had been doing that every day for two weeks and it oh, was two great. huge problems that got fixed with one uh letter change that's I, gold I, I think i shared the story before where um we were at the at the physician's office trying to get his dsl to work isdn to work you know this was 10 years ago and one of our remote offices kept getting kicked off their isdn connection and about halfway through the day, I finally called my boss and said, we're having trouble getting his ISDN to work. And she said, that's all right. Coming back to the office. We're having all time, all kinds of problems at this remote office. I said, what's going on? They keep getting kicked off their ISDN. Oh, they use the same number. <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, the physician had gotten a new router and the guy was over there trying to configure it for us. It was, you know, a Cisco, you had to go in and command line and set it all up and put the phone number in and all that. And so he did it, put the new phone number in and or put the phone number in the new router and dialed it. And sure enough, it worked for about 30 seconds and he got kicked off. Same thing was happening on the other. The That's other funny. Guy. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, and and I was gonna say when it comes to remote desktop, I have it seems like fledgling hope for no reason because I just have hope. Um, VNC Pro is a technology that's actually been in existence now for about a year, um, and it's technically OS independent. It does not matter what operating system is on the computer because it's built into the network card itself where you can remote into a computer full screen watch the boot control the boot see a blue screen even hit the button to reset it after a blue screen remote into any operating system irregardless even if there's no operating system installed you can still remote into the computer that's the kind of technology yeah that's the kind of technology i'm really wishful thinking that any day now it's going to start to become normal standard and popular but i've been waiting over a year now and i still don't have that capability that um, would be awesome sauce i want that i want that Dora, hard i don't know if you're a regular listener to the tightwad tech but you need to go back one or two episodes and listen to the fiddlehead episode if you haven't fiddlehead roger yeah that is a that's pretty awesome the fiddlehead stuff it's 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 similar to what you're talking about. It's it's a kind of the same level of uh, control. Yeah, it's not the same thing, but it's similar. 
yeah, the designer of that took a lot of open source stuff and put it together. And somebody posted, I think in the forums or maybe it was an email, I don't remember which, asked me uh, that I mentioned he used a lot of open source stuff. Is it all available somewhere open source? And uh, if you're listening, the answer to that was, yes, I'm sure it is, but he's not telling you where. Uh, with good reason. He's not required to tell you which pieces he used. Exactly. And how he put them together. Yeah. Gotcha. If you get me by the guy at the drag race, you know, on, at, the, at the red light, he's not going to tell you where he bought his his, <laughs> his carburetor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's pretty pretty impressive software. That's a, that, If you're listening to this show and you like just uh, kind of cool new tech at all, I would re- recommend going to elementop.com and going click on tightwide tech and finding the Fiddlehead episode. It's either the last It's either 87 or 88, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like it's really cool. Episode eighty-seven. Eighty-seven. I actually passed that around to a few guys at work, and my friend Bob, that I've mentioned several times, Mark, uh, was like, "Dude, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. the instant message I got back." <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, because I mean, remote really on any computer can be a little bit painful in my experience, and having the right tools in place can make re- remote training much easier. Um. To be honest, I've had maybe 2% or so of the people that purchased my uh, videos email me saying they can't get something done. And I, without blinking an eye, said, well, go here, send them a link, team, team, uh, viewers.com slash download, download this dev file, install it, right click, open with G dev package manager, type in your password, boom. Go, you know, to your main menu, Internet Team Viewer, launch it, and give me that, and then give me those codes you see, and then I will remote into their computer and help them out. And really, the audio program it seems like I've been using the most for new users, especially, is Google Voice, because most of them are still don't have Skype installed. They might not be completely comfortable with Skype. You know, they don't have headphones. So I tell them to call me on their cell phone, and I give them my Google Voice number. Google Voice is good. Yeah, uh, and uh, and whenever there's a communication breakdown, the other reason I like telling them to use their cell phone is I then tell them to text me those codes because there's confusion when they have a accent. There's no confusion in the written word. Right. All right, guys, this has been good stuff. Anything else before we uh, wrap it up? Any other final thoughts? Obviously, we don't have Chris here for our command line tip of the week or Seth here for our end user tip, but... Uh, uh, I think we've had a couple of good uh, tips so far. So anything anything else before we wrap it up? Um, honestly, I'll just say the two things about training is, A, train people on something you already use yourself. If you're encouraging a friend to use Linux and you love Arch Linux, don't tell them to use Mint because you trying to support them, it will become very painful. You know, if you use Arch, Honestly, go over their house, set up Arch, get it all up and running, and then tell them to use it. Be much easier to handle their issues because of that. And the second thing is, as a trainer, sometimes you really do need to shut your hole and listen. Amen. Because sometimes people just want to vent to feel better. Sometimes there's an actual point to what they're saying at the end of a five-minute rant that then oh, all you really want to do is this. And then you can really, you know, satisfy them. Um, It is possible, but I will say you have good customer service people and you have bad customer service people. Try to be one of the good ones. I would recommend go to YouTube, type in Nick Burns, your company's IT guy, watch all of those and do everything the opposite. Yeah, never, ever do any of that. (laughs) Touche. But seriously, uh, you know, it's a lot of it's patience. Um, it makes a big difference to the person you're trying to help. If like Dora said, you listen and respond, you know, with a, uh, calm tone, especially if somebody's frustrated, they're already, usually if they're calling you for help, they're already to the point of frustration. They've already tried something and ha- it hasn't worked or they've got to get something done right then. And so, you know, for, in my circumstances, a lot of times by the time the tech, the, the uh, issue got rolled up to me, we've already got multiple users can't do this, can't do work, can't see the patients, can't make money, you know, and it, and you've just got to address it like, okay, let's take a look at this, you know, let's step through it. 
let's let's see what the issue is and and uh, and that's more of a support thing than a training thing but what i'm really doing is training them on the point that they're having a problem with right then so that's my two cents worth so maybe that's the so best tip we can give is know when you shouldn't be the one doing it true right. know um, when you're in over your head right and and you know if you're just not that kind of guy uh, particularly if you're dealing with family family can make you mad faster than anyone else so an irate person at work uh, doesn't remember that time you did the embarrassing thing when you were four. Your your brother does. So you make him mad, he's going to bring it up. So maybe uh, if it, the best thing to do is say, um, you know, call somebody else. Yeah, sometimes the best tech support to give family is, uh, maybe you should call up the Geek Squad. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm not beyond, uh, beyond, you know, I have good good friends who call me and say, Aaron, this happened and this happened. Can you please help me with this? And I'll, and I'll be honest with them. I'll say, I could take a look at it for you. I'm not an expert in that particular thing. It may take me three weeks to figure it out and it would be a low priority for me while I was looking at it. You'd probably do better taking it to micro center. Yeah. And they thank me for that later because the times that I've kept it, then at the end of the three weeks when they're asking for it, I feel guilty. They feel bad to ha- that they have to ask and uh, it ends up being not a fun situation. I learned that years ago. Yeah, I had a guy one time uh, drop a computer off where I work at the school. His, uh, he was a parent of a student. And he said, look, I j- this computer's not working. I don't really need it right now. And I told him, I said, look, this is summer. I am swamped. It may be weeks to months before I even open this thing up. Uh, and if you're okay with that, fine. I'll put it over the, there in the corner and look at it. And it was uh, four days went by and he's like, hey, are you done with that yet? No, I'm sorry. I haven't even thought about it since I last talked to you. The next day, are you done with that yet? No. The next day, are you done with that yet? This went on for a couple of weeks. Finally, I said, all right, just take it back. I'm, I'm not going to look at it. I haven't looked at it. Take it back. And then what turned out to be the problem was he had moved, and the little power supply switch on the back got switched from 110 to 220. Nice. And had I spent five seconds looking at it, I would have known that. But I didn't spend five seconds looking at it. It sat there exactly where he dropped it the whole time. And then he, after he got it fixed and paid somebody to fix that, he sent me an irate email about how I kept it for weeks and uh, didn't fix something so simple. So mm. that was kind of why I, at that point I said, uh, I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't worth it for the you know 50 bucks I might make here and there. Yeah. I'm, I, well, I'd like to finish my portion of the show by sharing one of my first tech support tips or things that I ran into. I had really just kind of recently gotten, in, gotten into helping people on the side doing computers. Went over to a friend's house. They were having a problem. Neither one of their drives worked. Their uh, three and a half or their five and a quarter floppy drives. This tells you how long ago it was. Neither one of them worked, and they needed to back up QuickBooks, <laughs> and they couldn't back it up to either type of floppy. Uh, and I had actually just read in the book how to take the cover off their particular kind of computer because it's tricky. You have to like get a screwdriver and poke it into these tabs. Blah blah blah. I was like, "I'll oh, sure, I'll take a look at it. We're over there from there." I pop it off, and I found. Uh, five large paper clips in the three and a half inch floppy, no. and three playing cards in the five and a quarter inch floppy. Nice. <laughs> Took those out, and both drives still worked fine. And the, but it was really funny because I was like, "And there's Brittany, she's two. <laughs> there's <laughs> Courtney, she's four. And I've seen Mama put stuff in that slot lots of times. You know, it, it makes all kinds of cool noises when she does it. And lights flash, and yeah." Yeah, working at a, at a school, I have pulled Jolly Ranchers out of drives. I've pulled gum out. Of, I've pulled the note that they were writing when the teacher was walking by, shoved in there. I've pulled all sorts of things out of drives before. All right, guys. Anything else? Last final thoughts before we wrap it up. Uh, yeah, you just reminded me I got a computer in the trunk of my car from somebody. <laughs> Funny. Mark, I'm, I'm going to take a chance in jinxing it. You ready? We made it through this whole episode without the internet dropping. All right, so we got to hurry fast. We got a few seconds. (laughs) I had to say it real quick so it didn't drop while I said it. Okay, everybody. Thanks for listening. Dor, thanks for being back with us, uh, for bringing your expertise. And tell people where they can find you if they want to pick your awesomely large brain about anything. Uh, All you got to do is go to doortodorgeek.com. That's D-O-O-R-T-O-D-O-O-R-G-E-E-K. There's contact information there, links to the videos. Uh, and if you do look at the videos, I'll say there are ways you can go and save money with just two minutes of Googling, if that. And it is 100% guaranteed satisfaction, guaranteed if that made any sense. In other words, he will pay you back if it sucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, okay. 
Aaron, go. Yes. Double A R O N at one meal, one workout.com. If you want to email me directly and tell me how little I know about Linux, um, it won't be a surprise to me. I'll read it and nod and agree. And, or if you just want to find things about me and what I'm doing out here on the internet and why I'm on this show and how I know Mark and all that, you can just go, uh, Google one meal, one workout. That's the number one, the word meal, the number one, the word workout, and see what comes up. And I would also encourage you to visit elementop.com, the website for this and all other podcasts on the Element OP network. Uh, there's forums there where you can jump in there and have a conversation about anything from Linux to bacon and everywhere in between. So we encourage you to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and thanks for listening. And, uh, uh, as I tell people almost every time, I, uh, somebody will send me an email or a tweet or, or a comment of some sort and say, great, love the show. And I always say, spread the word. So that's what I'm going to tell you. If, uh, if you like the show, tell everybody you know, because the best thing we could get right now is a larger audience. That will help us out. So thanks for listening, everybody. And I'm going to say that ends this episode of Everyday Next.